Welcome, everybody. I am Jesse Mogul, and thank you for joining us on the American Contingency Podcast. We are a united nationwide community of steadfast Americans ready for any challenge that comes our way. We inform, equip, and train so you can prepare, respond, and recover from any man-made or natural disaster or situation. And we are closing out the year strong like we opened up the year with Tom Brigsby, our infallible leader, (laughs) on the microphone to talk about what we were able to accomplish in 2023. Uh, Doing a little looking back in our next episode, we'll bring him on and we will look forward. Welcome to the show. Wow, it's great to be here. I don't think I've been introduced a lot, hundreds, maybe thousands of times. I don't think infallible has ever been one of the words. So, <laughs> you know, I like to uh, put that out there so that the unconscious mind begins to behave in such a way that we are both infallible on the microphones today. Uh, we have uh, so much to cover, so many things to talk about. It's been a wonderful year in American contingency. And of course, being the way we are, we're going to look back and see the things that we would like to improve. And we're going to celebrate those victories as well. When you look at 2023, um, I'd like to talk about the country at large in a moment. But as far as within the organization of American Contingency, what we were able to achieve with members, bringing new people on, looking at 2023, how do you feel about the state of our union? Uh, With the state of uh, our AMCON union? Yes. We'll start start with the easy one. Well, I, you know, it, it is, um, it's strong, it's vibrant, it's growing, um, all of the, the positive, uh, words that you want to say about an organization like this. Um, but I, I think, you know, one of the things you pointed out is that we want to look back at the year past and look at it critically for both the things that we did well and the things that we can improve upon, um, you know, we have a really, really important project that's underway right now with, you know, kind of the underlying infrastructure of the website and the phone apps and, and those things, kind of the, the, I call it the member platform, um, to just generally improve overall how that's working. That's in terms of things we could do better. That's probably the number one, two, three, and four thing that I hear about the most. So, you know, that's underway. Um, and and there's a lot of things. Look, I'm I tell the staff every week that I set big goals and I have big visions. And even if we only get halfway, we're twice as far as where we were today. Right. And so I don't mind um generally I don't mind when we come up short on some of the projects and visions. Of course, I'd like to to knock them all out of the park, but you know, I I guess this is kind of the best analogy. Ted Williams was heralded as one of the best hitters ever in baseball, um, and uh, finished his career just over four hundred. I think he hit four hundred three for a career. That means that six out of ten times he went to bat, he struck out. 60% of the time, right? So someone who fails 60% of the time is held up as one of the greatest of all time. I think if we can consistently produce 
forward movements, and then that leads to momentum, and momentum leads to unstoppability. I think that's a great message to get out there for people who think that they've got to get things perfect. And I'm using air quotes that the, that the listeners can't see because there's this idea that we're going to come up with the most perfect contingency plan for a natural disaster. We're going to have everything, all of our ducks in a row. Things are going to go perfectly. Yay, we planned. Plannings are, planning is awesome. Plans are worthless. Planning's priceless kind of situation. And to realize that there's a lot of failure in success and you can be amazing at something and still find yourself back in the dugout 60% of the time. Well, an, an unsuccessful result is only failure if you fail to learn from it, right? So we can try something and it doesn't work. Well, that's still a result. And I can take that result and learn from it. And if I just fail to learn from go, well, you know, this is never going to work. We're never going to achieve this outcome. No, this particular result didn't tell you that you're never going to achieve this outcome. It just told you that you need to try a different way. Right. And so, you know, well, we're getting, we're getting in the deep weeds today, but well, we're going to jump us right into it. Cause I love that you brought that up. The fact that this idea that it's only failure, if you don't learn from it, cause on my other podcasts, I talk a lot about, there is no failure. There's only feedback. Are you doing an after action report and actually absorbing the feedback you are getting from your results and then seeking if you're not happy with them, then great. What can you begin to tinker with? And when we start thinking about preparation or crisis management, um, just in the normal everyday flow of life, are you ready for any given Tuesday? Because, yeah, we can make fun of zombie apocalypses and, you know, post-apocalyptic, you know, nuclear scenarios but in reality most of the crisis events that we're facing are just ones that you know shoot our blood pressure through the roof for a very short amount of time while we're trying to figure out how to get our kids to school when we just found out that the road was closed and you know we're sort of stuck where we're at well i i think what happens a lot jesse is that we get really hung up on the causative event versus the practical impact right and and Look, I I talk about crisis moments all the time, right? And that's what you were just describing. Trying to get the kids to school without being late and, you know, the bridge is closed or there's an accident on the freeway or car's got a flat tire or, or, or something much more significant, right? Trying to load the kids up and one of them falls out of the car and breaks their arm. These are all crisis moments as equally important to that family in that moment as if there were a Carrington level um, coronal mass ejection about to wipe out the planet or half the planet. Um, so, but, but we get too wrapped up in talking about and kind of fixated on the causative event. Yes, there are some nuances that I need to pay attention to regarding why the power mount might be out, but the practical impact is that the power's out. And I've got some things that I need I need to work on. If it's summertime, I've got to find a way to keep my food, you know, from spoiling. If it's wintertime, I've got to move the food outside so it'll stay cold. You know, if it's during the day, I've got a little bit of time to figure out how to heat the house if the electricity doesn't come back on. If it's already nighttime, I've got some work to do. Right. So, you know, what we try to focus on are is is mindset 
around those uh, crisis moments, but then also thinking through and kind of planning for the practical impacts, what to do when the power's out, what to do when you turn on the tap and no water comes out or black water comes out, um, you know, what to do when there's a, a medical emergency. Great example. I use this example all the time. You know, you have a fire extinguisher in the kitchen. Well, if you want to rely on infrastructure, then why would you bother to have a fire extinguisher in the kitchen? Why don't you just call the fire department? Well, the practical impact is because in the five to seven minutes it takes the fire department to get there, the house can literally be fully involved, right? And there's no saving the house. But within a few seconds, I can grab that fire extinguisher and at least keep a fire under control until they get there. Now, what we just talked about in that example was a practical impact. We didn't even talk about how the fire started in the kitchen. It doesn't matter. It it does not matter. There's a fire in the kitchen and we need to respond to it. So what we do, what we, you know, and, and one thing that I think that we're fairly successful at is talking through the potential practical impacts so that, you know, our members can come up with a plan. And even if that plan is not perfect, I mean, you referenced one of my favorite quotes from General Patton, you know. Um, no, no, that wasn't Patton. That was Eisenhower. Yeah. You know, plans are worthless, but planning is priceless, right? Because of the way our mind works, it's just as good to go through it in our head as it is to actually go through it. And while the scenario might not play out exactly the way we planned for it, the fact that we thought about all the things we need to do is important. Another great example, and then we can, I'll throw it back to you, but, you know, if the if the sheriff came and knocked on the door and said, hey, there's been a train derailment over here, you, you got 10 minutes to leave, right? What would you take? When you have 10 minutes to get in the car and go, that's not the time to be thinking about it, right? Make a list, even if it's just a mental list, but a written list is better. Make a list of the things that you need to pack. Even better, get you a plastic tote and put most of those things in that plastic tote. Keep it in the laundry room, keep it in the garage, keep it tucked away somewhere so you can just grab that, throw that in the car and go. Now, things are going to change. Winter turns to, to summer, you know, summer turns to winter, you know, kids grow, they outgrow clothes. I mean, all kinds of things happen that that plan might not be perfect, but because you have a plan, your mind is a lot more at ease and you're not mentally panicking so that your mind is just flying all over the place. A lot of people, when I ask that question, you know, you got 10 minutes to get out, what would you take? their mind immediately starts flying all over the place trying to figure out what they would take. Well, I don't have to think about that. I've got a list. It's right here in this book. Tick, 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 tick. Throw that in the car. We're ready to go. You know, is it perfect? No. We learn from it. We practice it. But, you know, it gets better. When I talk a lot about the state of our union as a whole and people's mental health. And when I ask people, you know, how do you think things are going? I get varied responses, but it's very interesting to me that, you know, if we're going to talk about a political divide, neither side seems very happy. And you think that at least one could be saying right now they're happy. And there, there's sort of this feeling that either everybody thinks that, you know, 
we're all going to hell. Everything's going to hell in a handbasket. Or and the people who don't think we're going to hell in a handbasket are like that dog in the meme where he's drinking the coffee at the kitchen table and his whole house is on fire. And he's like, everything is fine. And they're just oblivious. Is there a disaster fatigue that is beginning to take over our country where we're just constantly in this form of emotional and mental exhaustion, worrying about things? And, and when that begins to occur, do we start to slide ourselves into a malaise where it's like everything just seems so much that we start to want to block things out for the sake of our mental health? But in that process, we're missing out on opportunities to learn about how to better you know, attune ourselves to these stressors and really figure out, is this something that I can direct or affect in the moment? Or is this something that I need to accept? Or how can I even plan for it? Sure, that's a great question. So I, I look at it like our brain is, I'm a coffee fan, so I say coffee mug instead of teacup, but our brain is like a, a coffee mug. And if I sit it under the, the sink and I turn on the tap, it's going to fill up with water. And as that begins to get up toward the brim, it's going to begin overflowing, right? And the more water I continue to put in, the more vigorous the overflow becomes. And if it's just a little trickle, I might be able to stop that. I can flick a little out. I can sip a little water out. I can keep up with that inflow. But if the inflow is, you know, the tap is full on and it's just blasting in there, I can't even keep up with it. It become, There comes a point where it becomes pointless to try, right? That's a lot like the, the input to the front part of our brain, the frontal cortex, where we get all of this input and it becomes too much. And then our brain just says, I, I can't keep up, right? And emotionally... You know, your brain's going to try. Your brain's going to try really hard to keep up. But emotionally, the mind says, I, I'm just turning this off, right? It's, um, it's too much. I can't deal with it. I'm just going to ignore it. So, you know, this, this disaster fatigue, doom fatigue um, is a real thing for sure. Um, and, and so, you know, we talk about well, I, I hope that we handle it better, right, around American contingency. I, I hope that we talk about it in terms of these are the tasks and skills and competencies you need to work on. These, This is the equipment, supplies you need, but not in a doom-scrolling manner. There are others in our industry that um, love clickbaity titles and love to talk about the end of the world and you know, the government's about to collapse and you've got 72 hours and, you know, for a lot of people, it, it's just too much. They just can't digest it anymore. For some people, it's a lot like college football, right? I mean, we can get way deep in the weeds on college football. Uh, other people don't care. At the end of the day, you know, for what we're doing and what we're preparing for, does college football matter? No. And, and in a lot of respects, does politics matter? Not really. I mean, some of the decisions that are made will definitely influence. Um, but it, it's not going to change, not going to change the outcome. It's just two people yelling at each other. And so 
or groups of people yelling at each other. So, you know, this kind of comes back to this idea about um, causative causative events versus practical impacts. We want to focus more on practical impacts, not ignore the causative event, but don't get so wrapped up in it that we can't, that it just, you know, short circuits our mind and emotions so that we can't, we can't deal with the present. When we think about how we gather this community that's nationwide, right, border to border, ocean to ocean, we put a lot of effort into getting people to join who want to be part of community, who want to be forward thinking. And we know that they're concerned about black swan events like zombie apocalypses and nuclear armament all over the place, or whether they're just concerned about how they're going to make a detour to their kid's school uh, because it started to snow. What are we working on within American contingency for our chapter support in order to group better groups and introduce new people into a already very familiar system to us, but unfamiliar to them so that we want them to, you know, it's like throwing a new fish into the river. We want them to gather into the school, be able to share what they know and also be able to learn from us. One of the things that we do differently than others in the industry is we encourage people to meet face-to-face. We are not limited to just being keyboard jockeys and, you know, yelling at the screen our real real relationship happens face to face and so we encourage and facilitate people meeting up face to face we've got programs to you know kind of help with the safety of that um but at at the end of the day we want local chapters to form because those are the people that are going to be able to help you when you experience your crisis moment um and then this year one of the things that we've done that I'm, I'm really happy that we're making progress on this is our our chapter vetting and chapter support program where we kind of go behind the scenes and check and make sure that those chapters are structured well and they're set up well for success and that their members are participating and then the chapter support program takes some of the the uh, proceeds some of the profits of the business and we put that back into the chapters to help them locally strengthen their local chapter and their local capabilities. I'm really happy that we've we've been able to accomplish that this year. One of the ways we enjoy bringing money back into the local chapters is through regional events and getting the members to participate so that they can connect, so they can unify. It's not just a bunch of, like you said, keyboard jockeys. We want face-to-face interaction. So if something does go down, then they know that they can call upon these people because they've actually made a real-life face-to-face connection with them. What is that like when you get to go to some of these regional events? Because I know you've traveled a lot this year and been able to go to Dallas and South Dakota and out to California and Utah and places like that. What's that like for you to experience the boots on the ground growing of our regional chapters through these regional events? Well, I I mean, as I typically say when I'm making those visits, it's one of my favorite things to do. Um, I love being able to spend time with the members. I love being able to hear their input, their questions, you know, for a lot of, you know, this, I mean, you've done a lot of, of internet based work when you're developing products, you're developing courses and training and whatnot. We tend to make, uh, if you don't have feedback, 
from your customer, then you tend to make educated guesses about what they want. And then you just, you wind up throwing a bunch of stuff out, a bunch of different courses, find one that people kind of click with. You take all the other ones down, you pour everything into that, and then you repeat the process over and over. By getting to go out and make these visits and talk with the members and see them, go camping with them, go go eat with them, go train with them, uh, just sit down around the campfire and talk, I get to hear the feedback from them and says, boy, I really wish we had so-and-so. Boy, I really wish we could do this and such. And so instead of having to make educated guesses, we get direct feedback to help guide what we what we do, what our projects are, and what our focuses are. And, you know, next week, next episode, we'll get to talk about what we're doing moving forward. But all of that has been influenced by what the members want. And, you, you, you know, you, you look across the whole landscape of people that support preparedness. Um, this, that doesn't happen anywhere else. I mean, not this, you know, this face-to-face, chapter building, having somebody local to you. You know, I, I, I use the example all the time, you know, with like with my dad. I'm 35, 45 minutes away from his house, depending on traffic or whatnot. But I have an Amcon chapter member that lives across the street from him. If there's, you know, if there's something that he needs right away or something that needs to be taken care of right now, I can just call Mike up and say, hey, would you mind going over to my dad's and checking on so-and-so? I've been traveling out in Utah, I think, and, you know, he was trying to get one of his bill, I think, car payment made, and couldn't do it. He didn't know how to do it online, and I couldn't do it remotely. And, you know, between the three of us, we got it worked out. That's why you need people that are local. That's why we have a focus, you know, kind of handrails, not handcuffs here, but this 15-30-30 rule, right? We want those chapters to be about 15 families that are about 30 miles or 30 minutes away from each other. If you have a, you know, we had last weekend, as we're recording this, we had tornadoes go through Nashville, right? Well, it's great to be a member of a nationwide network, but it's the people locally, you know, kind of within, in that scenario, kind of 100 miles that that would come and help you, you know, get the limb off of your roof, put the blue tarp on the roof, put plywood over the windows, whatever the case may be. And that's why we have such an important focus on that. But that's not to the exclusion of the nationwide network because because we travel. Everywhere I travel, I you know, I look and see where our chapters are related to that. And I I reach out to them, try to meet up with them. If you're driving across the country, how awesome is it to have this chain of groups of people along the way that can help you if something comes along. So, you know, there's a macro benefit and a micro benefit to what we're doing. The real relationship building uh, and, and a big chunk of the value that members get out of American contingency is that local face-to-face relationship building that goes on. When I discuss this with people, whether it's locally or whether it's on a nationwide scale, I'll get some that will say, well, I've got a lot of family near where I live. Why would I need to join an organization that's going to come to my aid and meet these people who are relative strangers? And I will get to know them through the local events and things of that nature. But still, 
I've got 15 cousins who live in my town. I'll just rely upon them. What is your answer to those people who think, well, I've got a pretty healthy network here. Why would I need to join one of a bunch of preppers? Don't be selfish. Just because all of your family lives local doesn't mean everybody's family is local. Somebody lives somewhere else in the country and their family member is close to you. They would like to have someone they can rely on to call if their family member has a crisis moment. But if you think about it strictly from a what's in it for me perspective, that's that's just being selfish. I like that answer. Right. It's like the idea, like if I join this organization, what will I get out of it? Because there's a lot that anyone will get out of it, depending on how much they want to put into it. And as well as what is it that they could be bringing to the the group? And I think there was a lot of people who might over, you know, what is it? The Dunning-Kruger effect where they might overestimate their abilities in a crisis situation or or the opposite of it, where they might underestimate their abilities if they are quite experienced at something, uh, regardless of how well you think you are prepared. When push comes to shove, your preparation skills more than likely are not going to reach the heights at which you thought they would before the crisis moment arrived. Right. Wouldn't it be better to have a bigger team? It's like, yeah, we have one great running back, but would you also not like to have three more on the bench in case that other one isn't able to provide his you know, usual yardage for the day? Well, you know, sure, you like to have a deep bench. Everybody likes to have a deep bench. Um, you know, that, that's part of, that's part of the benefit of being a member of a local group. You know, the way we talk about preparedness, we talk about 12 categories of preparedness and it's everything from, you know, mobility, food and water, um, medical, outdoor skills. It's, it's you know, a, a lot of things. Nobody can be an expert in all 12 of those. I don't expect anybody to be an expert in all 12 of those. I do expect you to be part of a group, a chapter, a team, and that within that that organizational element, that group, that chapter, that all 12 of those categories are covered by someone who is focused on that, right? My, you know, my background, what I've... I've done communications, radio communications related stuff, really, my whole career, right? So, you know, within a group, I may be leaned on as a communications expert or the communications resource. I have not done, I'm not nearly as experienced in mobility topics, right? But somebody else over here is. They can break down an engine, rebuild it, not think about it. They, you know, all kinds of stuff. They know how to, you know, pull cars out of ditches and the whole nine yards. We might lean on them to be our mobility expert. I can't be an expert in everything, but if I'm part of a group where there is an expert for everything, then I'm covered, right? I'm covered by those other 11 people, but they're covered by me. And if I don't join that group and I don't share and I don't offer myself as a resource, I'm just being selfish. And that, you know, those aren't the people we want in, in our groups anyway. Right. So it, it's in, in the industry, in, in our vernacular, we talk about people like that and call them lone wolves. Right. So, no, I, me and my family, we're covered. 
me and my wife, my two kids, we've got everything we need. We've got a little hidey hole dug under the house. We've got three years worth of food. I've got all the beans, bullets, and, uh, and band-aids that I need, and we're going to be okay. Awesome. That's good for you. You should go hide in the hole when things get bad and, you know, come out whenever you feel like coming out. The reality, though, is that that's going to be very difficult to get through by yourself. Might not be impossible, but it'd be very difficult. Which goes back to this idea that I can't be an expert in everything. I also, you know, at some point you have to provide for security and defense. And how are you going to do that when you need sleep? I mean, there's just these practical issues that come up that, that we need to address. And this whole idea of doing it by yourself is just not not the way to win at that. Well, and we, you know, our country forged its path the way that it did by uniting as one to, you know, go across the vast plains or sail huge boats across the ocean. We've done things together and gotten farther than we ever would have gone, you know, faster alone. And when I think about all of the different ways that we provide information to people, I know that we have this situational report that we do regularly that we put out to um, our community in order to create a reliable source of information that people could utilize, whether it's, you know, these black swan events that everyone loves to make fun of and try to prepare for. But in reality, the day to day crisis events are the ones that we are most concerned with. What brings you joy when you think about the way we are able to gather information that's accurate and factual and get it out there and present it to the people who want it the most? You know, that's a great question. and It's worded. Uh, magnificently, uh, what brings me joy. So, you know, um, Ted is the leader of our ASAT team. That's the AMCON Information Situational Awareness Team. We worked really hard. He has worked really hard in his team to create the daily sit rep. That's an email of the five things you need to know to start your day. It, it publishes, it, it's in everybody's inbox by 6 a.m. East Coast time. Yeah, everything from the news, current events, weather, literally everything you need in there for the, the current day. And one of the things that I said to him when he took on the team was, I will know that we're doing it well when members begin to say things like, you know, I saw a story about something, you know, about some event on the news. Let me go see what Amcon says about that right, where we become a trusted, reliable source of authoritative fact, right, not, and I don't, you know, I don't have to tell you how to feel about things, and this is, you know, we are an organization made up of thousands of people, different people feel different ways, I'm not, I'm not even, by no stretch of the imagination do I think our membership's even limited to right and right-leaning people. I mean, I we should have, everybody needs to be better prepared. Everybody has, should depend less on infrastructure and, and systemic delivery. And so everybody's not going to think the same way about different things. What I want us to do is present the the facts. Here's what really happened. Here's, you know, what the current state is, and here's what we think could happen. Now, how you feel about that, 
is up to you. How you modify your activities today is up to you. How you uh, change, adapt your preparedness stance is up to you. We will make, we'll, we'll, we might make recommendations. We might say that as an organization, we've, you know, raised our alert antennae a little bit, but how you receive that and what you do with that information is up to you. I don't, I don't, we're not in the business of telling you how to feel about things. We, but we do want to be, we do want to be in the business of being that authoritative factual source for people. And this daily sit rep, the email, man, that is, that is a huge step forward. Uh, and, you know, right after connection and relationship, it is probably the the greatest value that we can deliver to our members. I'm super stoked. I mean, it does bring me joy to see that email go out every day and know that thousands of people across the country are able to benefit from it every day. I'm going to get you out of here on this. I talk a lot about on my other show about not letting my day-to-day -day mood affect my overall commitment to the goals that I've set for myself because emotions and moods are fleeting like clouds, like water going you know, down a river past a rock. It's there, then it's gone. When we think about how we can guide people to have emotional intelligence and emotional self-control and not fall prey to this mental, emotional fatigue that's going on when we're, the news wants us constantly in a state of crisis mode. What is your thoughts about how we have handled that within 2023 as an American contingency and organization and also as a country at large? Well, I think the daily sit rep helps with that a lot. I, generally, I say <clears throat> you should be very careful about what you put into your brain, right? Garbage in, garbage out. And there's very little re of redeeming content on tv right it's it's bubble gum for your brain it's that you can chew and chew and chew and there's no nutritional value at all the news just depends on what news you're listening to but you know you know what should scare everybody to death there's a, a video floating around on youtube um i think it was from about this time last year but it's all these local news reporters reading the same story word for word about some national event right and every one of them i mean there's there's dozens of reporters and it's just a montage of all of them reading the same story well, literally word for word that should frighten you because that's not local news that is somewhere someone somewhere distributing the the narrative that we want to you know put out to the people so we have to be very careful about what we what we take in and what we trust uh as authoritative you know for me personally i mean i don't even watch the local news i watch the weather sometimes if the weather is going to be bad occasionally if there's a story that i'm interested in i'll go to their website and look it up but i don't just sit there and watch the news um we do need to be informed, but we don't need to be consumed. So I think generally, as a nation, you know, controversy and crisis sells. That's why clickbaity titles work, right? 
72 hours to collapse what you need to get before it's all gone. That's a title that people click on, right? But that's that's fear-mongering also. And I don't, we don't do that. I don't believe in that. You know, it's fear-mongering to say, oh, it's all going to collapse in 72 hours. You need to get your stuff and be prepared and then not tell you what you need to get or why you think it's going to collapse in 72 hours. It's It's far more effective for me to say, you know, for us to focus on, as I said earlier, practical impacts rather than the causative events, because no matter who's predicting the causative event, they're wrong. That's not the way it's going to happen. You know, even hurricanes. How many times have we seen the forecast for a hurricane only for that thing to turn left, or I guess turn right, before it makes landfall? Or instead of a Category 1, it's Category 5. Or instead of a 5, it's a 1. Or the far more destructive elements of it are the tornadoes that spin out of it. Or the earthquakes. Who predicts those accurately, right? I mean, <clears throat> being able to predict that is is almost a fool's errand, right? What we can do is say, okay, let's assume, you know, that the Cascadia subduction zone does its thing. There's giant earthquake in the Northwest. What are some of the things that might happen? Well, you know, there'd be power outages. The water wouldn't work. The roads would be closed. Okay. Communication networks wouldn't work. Okay. All of those things. So what are the practical impacts of those things on me? Right. And then how can I mitigate those so that the the negative effects are lessened? That's what we can do. And so instead of just sitting there and soaking in hours and hours and hours of video about missiles and rockets and whatever else, let's just acknowledge, okay, that stuff's going on somewhere in the world. What's that going to do to me? How do I need to change my behavior based on that? And a lot of times you ask that question and you answer them honestly, the answer is, yeah, it's not going to change my day to day at all. And, you know, you live accordingly. Goes back to my saying, if you cannot affect it, direct it, then accept it. We are going to close on that because we're going to bring you back in in a couple of weeks and we're going to have you talk about 2024 and what we're going to do looking forward. I appreciate you as always. You know, it was a great way to close it up because we are always seeking to move people from uncertainty to a level of certainty. So when y'all out there are ready to build the skills, the network and the confidence to be ready for whatever comes next, join us at AmericanContingency.com. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Can't wait to do it. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye.